Hi, I'm Owen from Bite Size Irish Gaelic, and welcome to episode 40, Iver a Dahid, or Iver a Cahracha, depends on where you're from, of the Bite Size Irish Gaelic podcast. Even if you're alone learning to speak Irish outside of Ireland, don't despair. Rest assured that there are thousands like you across the globe, all interested in tapping into Ireland's native culture. And for all about this podcast and show notes, go to bitesizeirishgaelic.com forward slash podcast and you just need to find episode 40 for the show notes. A shout out to our newest members at Bite Size Irish Gaelic. It's been a bit less than a week since I uh, did my last recording and three kind of controversial predictions of the Irish language. So the people that we have, uh, we've got a uh, Pam in Wisconsin. Welcome, Pam. Pam, I hope you're enjoying to learn a bit of the Irish language with us at Bite Size Irish Gaelic. And Werner, he's in Bayern in Germany. So I wonder how Werner has a connection to Ireland. I'd be interested to hear, Werner, if you're a listener. We've got uh, Robert in Ohio. And finally, Jerry in somewhere in the UK. I don't know what region of the UK. So welcome to all our new members. So today I'm joined by special guest Devin Blankenship and Devin is a founder and president of the Indiana Celtic community. So I wanted to talk with him because he basically, our connection with him, he set up an Irish language immersion weekend in Bloomington, Indiana. So Devin is also lead um, English as a second language instructor at the Internexus of Indiana and he's a member of the board of directors at the Irish Arts Academy of Indianapolis. So, Devin, welcome. Falta, how are you doing? Oh, Tommy Gamar. Thank you well, too. Tommy Rouser Fads. I'm very well, thanks, Devin. It's nice to have you on. We've got a bit of a lag on our Skype call that we're recording on, so it might not be as free flowing as we'd like it, both of us together. So, I'm just going to, I'm going to try to sit back and try not to interrupt you. But Devin, like, what's, how would you describe your connection with the Irish language? Like, where does it all start? Well, for me, it, it all started with a family trip to Ireland. And as we were preparing to go to Ireland, I was a senior in high school, sitting in Spanish class, wondering what I was doing in Spanish class. And the spark kind of went off at that moment to find out about the Irish language. I was fortunate enough to know that the Irish language existed, which is often, often in America, people aren't even aware that the language exists. So I at least had that going for me. So I started collecting books and dictionaries and was fortunate to be able to travel to Ireland, not only on that trip, but several other times after that. And, uh, I would slowly pick up things, but I, I wasn't really seriously studying the language until after I student taught in, uh, in Donegal, in Glinties, and being surrounded by the language made me decide, okay, as soon as I get back home, I'm really going to buckle down and, and start working on this language. So that's, that's really how I got started. And Devin, how come you knew of the Irish language? Like, do you come from a bit of an Irish background or what was the connection there? Well, uh, on my mom's side of the family, we, we have an Irish background, but uh, nobody in, in my family spoke Irish in the recent past. So 
Uh, I always tell people that it's probably been about 100 years since anyone in my family would have spoken Irish. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually have a childhood friend who named her horse Gaelic. So <laughs> I would constantly hear her say, my horse's name is Gaelic, like the language of Ireland. And so that was, you know, that was her, her usual response. And so I had exposure to that. And then our radio station that plays alternative rock music played the Ashley McIsaac tune, I believe it was Sleepy Maggie. And um, so that has Scottish Gaelic on it. And so that was the first time that I'd heard any of the Gaelic or Celtic languages. Mm. And, and that, definitely, that definitely triggered some interest in me, um, though at the time I did not know that it was Gaelic language. Uh, and that took me a couple more years to run across that that song again. So. Yeah, and Devin, like you start, you said you started off with books and dictionaries and that type of thing. How far do you think somebody can take it with self study before they reach out and try to connect with other people? Well, it, I think a lot of it has to do with learning styles. As far as you know, I'm uh, using you know. Gardner's multiple intelligences theory. I'm a, I'm definitely an interpersonal learner. So I learn best by communicating with other people. Um, mm -hmm. There are definitely people who can sit in a corner with a book and pick up quite a bit. I'm not one of those people. So it was kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of force, a force of culture that I kept buying books. Uh, you know, books were available, more available than people at the time. And so anytime I'd go into a bookshop and see an Irish book, I would buy it. And having a limited number of bookshops and a limited number of Irish books available meant that I went through long dry spells without seeing anything. But that did not necessarily mean that I spent lots of time with the books or, or studying Irish from the books. So, so yeah, my, my book adventure was really more of a collection of books and less of a study of Irish. So. Yeah, it's true though, isn't it? Because it, the, the easiest thing yeah. you can do is spend like your $20 on a nice book and you say oh right. i'm gonna learn lots from this and yeah it's still on the shelf right. then Ugh. so yeah uh, and, and i did that hmm? i did that over uh i did that over a long, long enough period of time that i actually would buy duplicates of books because the covers would change and they would look different enough that i think oh i don't have that one yet and buy it and then get it home and go okay well i guess i have two of those now <laughs> so Excellent. So Devin, you mentioned that you were in uh, Donegal at, I think, Ediscoil, and you said you were like a student teacher, or how did that work out? Can you explain? Well, so, I, yeah, I think you, you might call it practice teaching in Ireland. So as a professional, I'm a teacher, and I did what in the States we'd call student teaching. I think, I think in Ireland you might call it practice teaching mm -hmm. um, at a school in Glinties in Donegal. So I wasn't in a position to be, you know, uh, learning or teaching Irish necessarily uh, at that okay. point in time. But I was I was there for a couple of months in uh, in two thousand five. Excellent. W was that really just coincidence that it was in and around the Gaeltacht area? Uh, I would say in part it was it was coincidence. One of the things in the program that I was in was to select what region of the world we wanted to go to and select which country. And I wanted to go to Ireland, even though I been to Ireland several times. I knew I was, I was hooked already, but I figured I'd go to Donegal because I hadn't been there yet. I had been to Galway and I had been to, to Clare. And so I decided, okay, well, I haven't been to Donegal yet, so I might as well take this opportunity to, to explore a new place. 
So uh, yeah, you must have been so quite like the interest. Oh, sorry, you must have been quite the interest of the locality. Like you know, an American uh, teacher. Like that's not a usual thing for the school, is it? Right. Right. Huh. So it was, it was usually my my job to explain things like Amish people and tornadoes. Those are <laughs> two of my major responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, excellent. I was in uh, Kansas City, uh, Missouri, uh, during the summer last summer, at the Kansas City Irish Fest, and at the airport they had like uh, tornado shelters and tornado warnings, and yes. I I opened my eyes yes. seeing that because I had never come across that type of thing before, right? So yeah. Uh, do you, just right, out of interest right. and excuse my ignorance, like, do you get that type of uh, possible extreme weather in uh, Indiana? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> um, yeah, Indiana, we're, uh, I think we're ranked third for number of tornadoes in the U.S. It's, it's something like Kansas, Oklahoma, and then Indiana. Oh. Um, we're usually pretty fortunate to avoid too many like we're we're able to avoid some pretty serious ones but um uh, our last major one in, in my area was in 2002 um, mm. but once you've seen cars flipped over and buildings completely demolished it, it sticks with you so wow. um, so yeah yeah we were again at the kansas city irish fest it, it just feels like the, the winds roll in and the rain with a lot more strength yeah. than i know of yeah so it wasn't a tornado, far from it, but um, it did blow over the tent that people were in. So that wasn't great. Like, and yeah. I think it was the last night. So that was, that was definitely interesting. A lot of uh, lightning as well as it as it passed by. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. So Devin, like you, you had a couple of trips to Ireland. You had a bit of self study, but maybe nothing too serious. But you were interested in. Learn, learning to speak the Irish language. So what then? Like, what happened? Well, I started to seek out anyone who had learning Irish or was a native speaker. And I fortunately lived near a, a major university. So I contacted them and, and they really didn't have any leads for me. We have a pretty big international population overall, but not very many Irish students. And so then I started exploring some of the cultural groups, and I, I found an Irish group online, an Irish cultural group online in Indianapolis, which is our, our state capital, about an hour north of, of where I live. And so I contacted them and said, I'm interested in learning Irish, and I'm wondering if there's anyone in your organization who is also learning Irish or who is a native speaker. Hmm. And the email bounced back right away, and I thought, oh, no, oh. that's not a good sign. So, um, so I emailed the Scottish people and I said, hi, I know you're the Scottish people, but I'm looking for the Irish people and I know you know where they are. So, <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, so luckily, um, luckily they put me in touch with, uh, an Irish dance instructor and she said, oh yes, there's parent of one of my dancers who, um, who I believe has been learning Irish. And so, so I got in touch with an Irish learner in Indianapolis. And then he connected me with the group in Madison, Wisconsin. Deneen Grow hosts uh, Immersion Weekends there. And so not too long after meeting him, I attended my first Immersion Weekend in, in Madison, Wisconsin. And so that was definitely a turning mm. point as far as my Irish learning experience. Well, fair play to you because you definitely took the initiative and 
uh, Danine has been on the podcast and what she said that really stood out was like, first, like the main thing was you have to start something. And I think the background to that is yeah. you, you just have to take some initiative to reach out to people. Like it, it can seem a bit daunting. doesn't right. feel like there's anybody within miles, a hundred miles learning to speak a bit of Irish, but it goes to show that you made the effort. So just out of interest, like Indianapolis, uh, you said it's an hour away. So was that in itself, mm-hmm. that wasn't too much of a block for you to, to, to go, oh, that's too far away. Like, what's even the point in contacting people there? Like, what was your impression there? For, for me, it didn't seem too far away. I know, I know there are definitely people who would think that. One of the things I'm continuously thankful for is my, my mom's father grew up in Montana, in, in the Western U.S., and so um, his perspective on distance and time has trickled down, fortunately, to my generation. So to me, driving an hour... Um, uh, to meet up with somebody or to go to an event or to work, uh, which I do work an hour away, um, it doesn't seem like much. So uh, I have, on the, on the other hand, met people who are not really interested in going more than 20 minutes away from home to learn Irish. And in a, mm. in a mostly rural state like Indiana, um, <laughs> if, if you're not willing to go more than 20 minutes away from home, you, you better get working on starting your own group. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, excellent. So, so Devin, you um, made it over to Deneen Grow's uh, immersion weekend in Madison, Wisconsin, right? And wasn't that in itself yes. a bit daunting? Like, I if I was in your shoes, I would definitely feel the nerves and the fear. I would think I don't know enough. I would think that there's going to be people way too advanced. I can't learn. You know, I'll, I'll give my, myself all these excuses. So did you, looking back, have any of this? Is your personality different? Or did you kind of learn to, to overcome this? Uh, well, I, I definitely had a, a few reservations, but I knew, uh, I knew that that would be a good way to meet other Irish learners. And I knew that, that there'd be... A range of people. I, I think Deneen made it relatively clear that there would be all levels from beginning to to fluent um, participating in the weekend. And Deneen seemed particularly welcoming. So I remember when I made the, the first trip up, which it's about a six and a half, seven hour drive oh, okay. um, to Madison, Wisconsin. And um, I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm going to do this weekend. And if I really like it, then I'm going to find a friend to go with me next time. And the following February, there was an immersion weekend in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with a lot of the same people, but hosted in Milwaukee. <laughs> and and so I went I went up in February, which February is is uh, an interesting time to travel northward, <laughs> um, because there's usually more and more snow as you get further north. And I I thought, okay, you know, I don't have a friend with me this time, but next time I'm going to bring a friend because this is a really interesting thing. And so I, I went up to, to Milwaukee and participated in the immersion weekend up there. And then the next time I went to an immersion weekend, I thought, oh, I don't need to take a friend. I already have friends who are there because oh. I spent so much time with, with the people in Wisconsin that I was specifically looking forward to seeing the people who I'd met there. And it was no longer about me trying to, to rope some friend into going with me because I was going to see friends there. And so that really, that was really a, a, an interesting turning point for me to realize that, that 
as as Michael Regan says, uh, Irish makes friends. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> so I I met this really unique group of people with with similar interests. So. Yeah, excellent. And uh, yeah, I managed to meet Mike um, O'Regan and Karen Reshkin at Milwaukee Irish Fest last summer. That was excellent to meet them. Yes. It was lovely to... So, it, like, what I'm trying to figure out too is you can go to an immersion weekend, say, once a year. Okay, you can pick out more if, if there's, like, enough in your locality that you can possibly get to in the car. But, Devin, is it enough that if you've got one immersion weekend a year, like, is that enough to be able to help sustain your language learning? Um, I don't, I don't think it works by itself for most people. I think that that kind of goes on the, the scale of how introverted or extroverted someone is and, and their learning style. But, mm. you know, for me as somebody who likes to interact with people, one of the important things was to get a, a group going, uh, in Bloomington, to meet on a regular basis. So uh, it was in, in 2008 that I, I think it was in 2008, that I started um, our, our Irish language group in Bloomington and we studied together and we, we meet on a weekly basis. Sometimes it's Irish, sometimes it's purely social. Uh, and that's been part of, part of our process is in, you know, forging these friendships with, with people that, Sometimes we have other things going on in life that as friends we want to discuss. And then other times we focus on verbs in <laughs> Irish. So, uh, but we, but we do have a, a sustainable group um, that's able to meet and, um, and socially with, with things like Facebook, our ability to use Irish with, with people we've met has, has increased. Um, and so I think it, it would be really important for, someone to not only attend immersion events, but then also figure out a way to use Irish in, in the times in between, whether it's on a weekly basis with a study group or whether it's via Skype or whether it's, you know, using Twitter or Facebook in Irish. I think any of those ways are, are productive. Um, hmm. Granted, my, my spelling and grammar are not anywhere near perfect, but I am comfortable to have a basic conversation with someone because a lot of my Irish has been face-to-face conversation. So. Yeah, nice. Do you think you were lucky in uh, getting together a group of people who would come together to study Irish? Like, I'm just trying to put myself in somebody's shoes who doesn't really have any connections to people who speak Irish right now. And we have spoken about this in the past, actually. Um, how do, like, sorry, I'm just getting my thoughts together. How would you tell somebody like that to reach out? How, how can you find other people that might be able to meet up with you? What do you think? Well, I think there's a few different ways. I think that, I mean, people, I, I, I always tell somebody who wants to form a group that they should pick a, a, a place that is either um, neutral or widely accepted by the people they want to attract. So whether, like in our case, um, we have access to a space in a local restaurant called the Runcible Spoon, and they've been very helpful and supportive of us. Uh, Reagan uh, O'Neill, who's one of the owners, she was learning Irish, and she's one of the first people I met 
Um, I happened to have my Irish books with me one day when I sat down at the restaurant. And so that's how I met her. Um, I always tell people, wear your Irish on your sleeve. You never know who you're going to meet who speaks Irish. So make sure to have your Irish out there and present. So whether you're wearing Mm. a t-shirt that's in Irish or whether you have your books with you, that's one way to attract people. But, you know, pick a consistent place and then start advertising that you're going to have, you know, an Irish group meeting and Irish. I usually start off by saying Irish Gaelic just to make sure that we capture the essence of what people might be looking for mm-hmm. um, then meeting regularly. One of the challenges I found um, that a lot of people have is uh, in these groups, they want a native speaker. Um, and in our case, we're lucky. Um, uh, Reagan's husband, Matt O'Neill is a native speaker of oh, Irish and he's, he's also an owner of this restaurant, but a native speaker doesn't necessarily want to be the teacher of a group of people. So you know, a lot of times a group is looking for a teacher or a native speaker. And the the reality is maybe that person isn't there Mm. um, or maybe they're not able to participate. Maybe, maybe they don't want to participate. And so it's a lot to ask of somebody to, to take on a role that they might not necessarily want to have. So it's really more about, can you gather people together than can you teach Irish or can you be an expert in Irish? And so that sometimes takes takes a while for people to be comfortable with with the notion of their main job being to gather people together rather than to be the expert, um, mm. because a lot of times they're looking for the experts, and sometimes you just have to, as a group, become the experts together. And so that's been that's been a large of what we've done and what what other successful groups done is say, okay, we're okay with being wrong until we find out something that's better, and then once we know better, we know better, and and so. I think that's a healthy attitude to have, but it can be very detrimental to a group to continue to seek an expert who's not there and keep waiting for an expert who's not there mm. or waiting for somebody to want to teach them who might not be interested in teaching. So that would be my advice to anybody who, who's interested in starting a group is, is just be just be willing to gather people and to learn together. And then sometimes you'll attract an expert or an expert will move to town or you know, or you'll have an opportunity to, to consult with an expert. But until then, you know, it's really just about getting the people together. Uh, those are some wise words. And in practicality, Devin, like if it was a new group, like how would you suggest that people get together? Is it like everybody buys a copy of the same book or you just kind of share the, the chapter of the book? How would you do it? Yeah, it's often the case that, you know, selecting the same book or choosing the same program works best for people and they can progress through together. Um, Another thing that's happened is uh, people will choose a theme. And so one week somebody will bring, you know, vocabulary words in with that theme and somebody else might bring in sentences or grammar that they think might be useful with that. Um, It's really a matter of figuring out what sorts of assets you have in your group. You know, Hmm. Um, in Bloomington, we have a pretty um, transient population about, 40,000 people in Bloomington are regular residents and 40,000 people are university students. And so the the university students go through anywhere between four and six years, um, usually, you know, two years if they're in a, a, two to three years if they're in a master's program. And then our residents, a lot of them work for the university. And so a lot of them move frequently too. So we have a very Mm. transient population. And so sometimes we're lucky have people in our group who are naturally um, linguists and so they understand the grammar rules and can can break them down for 
for those who are not so inclined to hmm. to those things. And then, um, you know, we'll also have people come through who are university students now who speak Irish and um, we might have them around for a year or two and maybe it fits into their schedule to join us and maybe it doesn't. And so we just have to, to appreciate those opportunities when they when they come to us. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's nice that like, you've got the nice setup, the, the restaurant uh, hosts your get together and uh, just a, a nice maybe yeah. moving population around you. Yeah, I like it. So, Devin, before we finish up, it wouldn't be right without uh, covering a bit about your your own Irish language immersion weekend in Bloomington, Indiana. Now, are you booked up for 2015 or are there spaces? We still have spaces available. Um, usually I try to leave some some buffer in there for us to, to fill up as much as we can. Mm. So um, we have our registration form. Our registration form is available on our website, which is indianaceltic.org. And so our immersion weekend will take place from May 1st through the 3rd. Uh, we usually start uh, Friday evening with some activities to get to know each other and to figure out which classes people are going to be in. We allow our participants to sort of self-select their level and then adjust accordingly if they need to. Um, people tend to always want to put themselves in a lower level than they really should be in. Really? That's a common, common issue. Uh, yeah. Everybody, everybody's a beginner for a while uh, <laughs> um, in their own opinion. So, uh, so, um, uh, and then we run through early Sunday afternoon. So we have usually 10 hours, give or take, of um, direct instruction in Irish. We'll have games and activities. Usually we'll do um, workshops on, on things like hurling, dance, and we'll, we'll often have a lecture from an expert in an Irish um, area, whether it's Irish folklore or music. And we try to arrange our meals um, in small groups where small groups of people can go out to our different restaurants. We have quite a few international mm. restaurants in Bloomington. And um, so we, we send people out, you know, in groups to restaurants so they can speak Irish if they want to speak Irish, or they can use that as, as time to have a bit of a break, but get to know other people in the Irish speaking community a bit better. Um, mm. So to try to create some of those lasting bonds and friendships. Yeah, excellent. Um, I, I might have to attend sometime, Devin. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So excellent. So Devin, um, the link you said was indianaceltic.org. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. So we're also going to put a link to your site from the uh, show's uh, uh, show notes. So to leave a comment for this episode uh, of the Bite Size Irish Gaelic podcast, you can go to bitesizeirishgaelic.com forward slash podcast. And you just go to episode 40. So, Devin, I have to say thanks a lot for your time. And I have to wrap up here as well. So, thank you. Thank you. It was lovely talking to you. And if you're loving this show, uh, the best you can do is go to iTunes and leave us a written review if you can. You go to the iTunes store, you log in, search for the Irish Bite Size Irish Gaelic podcast and write a review. Uh, you can send listener questions and any feedback. We'd be really interested to hear what topics or who in particular you'd like us to interview on the show. So you just email info at bitesizeirishgaelic.com. And finally, thanks to Tsukumo for their music, which you hear on this episode under a Creative Commons license. Until the next episode, slán go Bye for now.